0: The epistle to the Romans, chapter 11, the first two verses and then continuing at verse 29. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. And from, page, uh, from verse 29 For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: <clears throat> so, Heavenly Father, may your words be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. Amen. Amen. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good nothing but pitiless indifference. So uh, famously uh, writes Richard Dawkins, of course, that is not the world that Paul sees. It's not the world that Paul inhabits. Uh, As you read through Romans 9 to 11, in particular Romans 11, uh, as we think about it this morning, he sees in the history of the world very clearly the hand of God. He sees uh, the ongoing fulfillment of the plans, and the purposes of God. He sees in the history of the world design and direction. But, of course, to what end? What is this design? What is this direction? And in a sense, that's what Romans 11 is articulating. And one writer, one pastor, uh, summarizes it like this, which I thought was very helpful. Says this, quote, God has designed and guided history, both its obedience and its disobedience, so that in the end it will most fully display the reliability of his promises and the magnificence of his mercy to prevent human pride and to produce white hot worship. I think that is precisely what Romans 11 is all about. God is at work in all the ways of uh, humanity to work out his promises to Abraham uh, Abraham and the patriarchs for, as Paul says, God's call is irrevocable. Uh, And the promises, if you remember back in Genesis 12, was to bless the world in and then through Israel at that time. But God is, Paul says, supervising a pattern in salvation history in order to establish a principle. And the details of Romans 11 are debated, but the pattern is clear that God's blessings would go first to ethnic Israel, they would be his uh, uh, people in the Old Testament, and then through their rejection of Christ, the gospel would, if you like, be catapulted out to the Gentiles. And then, this enjoyment by the Gentiles of the blessings of God is designed to create a jealousy in the Jewish people that will lead in turn and in time to a future revival amongst them. Although that point is debated. The principle that this establishes is that it is the grace of God and not human goodness that saves. It is therefore faith and not background or behavior that unites us to God. And that pattern and that principle is designed to prevent human pride and to promote human worship, to glorify God, and to prevent human boasting. And this Paul sees as he looks out at human history. Uh, He sees it played out in human history. And, of course, we see it played out, do we not, in the interaction between Jesus and and the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. Romans 11 is a commentary on that encounter in many ways. It is an explanation of that encounter. If you go back to Matthew 15, it is striking, is it not, that Jesus, uh, the context of his encounter with the Canaanite woman, is precisely his rejection by Jewish leaders. And uh, he retires into Gentile territory, Tyre and Sidon are Gentile areas. And there he's approached by a gentlewoman who begs him to exorcise uh, her daughter. The reaction of the disciples is an ambiguous one, in fact. Uh, it could mean they could be saying, rebuke her uh, to get rid of her, or "You know, just, just, just send her away. Or they could be saying, well, yes, just heal her in order to get rid of her. Uh, either way, of course, it's a profound misunderstanding of the plans and purposes of God. If it's the former, then they misunderstand uh, God's plans. They misunderstand Jesus to be a Messiah for the Jews only. And if it's the latter, when well, they misunderstand God's timing, it's probably the latter because Jesus replies, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He's speaking to his disciples at this point. In other words, the time has not quite come for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. First and foremost, I have come, says Jesus, to God's historic people the household of God at this time, Israel. Jesus is not being rude in his conversation with the Canaanite woman. He is simply making the point that at this stage in salvation history, he has come to feed, uh, at that time, God's people, the household of Israel. And he has not yet come to the Gentiles, but her response is wonderful. She acknowledges it, but she replies that surely as, if you like, the scraps, as he's being rejected and the scraps fall uneaten from the table, surely the Gentiles at this time, more like family pets than members of the family, can eat them. Uh, She seems to have that sense that even the scraps of grace from his hands uh, will be enough to exercise her daughter. And of course, such great faith, as Jesus puts it, such humble faith, of course, receives grace. It is the posture of reception. And Jesus commends her greatly and does what she asks. And this is a foretaste, of course, of a fuller rejection of Jesus by Israel that is to come. And the gospel then going out to the Gentiles and the Gentiles coming in. Humility. I remember uh, John Stott uh, once said this, Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. John Chrysostom, one of the church fathers, Humility is the root, mother, nurse, foundation, and bond of all virtue. Why is humility so significant in the Christian life? Very briefly, two reasons, I think. First, humility is the posture of receiving from God. It is the only posture that receives from God. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. The book of James, or as Tim Chester, uh, British pastor, puts it, grace flows downhill. I love that expression, grace flows downhill. How could it otherwise? Repentance and faith are the two great fruits of humility and they are the posture that first and decisively receives God's forgiving grace and that is the posture that continues to receive God's forgiving uh, grace and his blessings and his abiding help as it continues to ask, as it continues to rely on. Humility ensures that the cross of Christ does not become an artifact of history but an ongoing reality in our lives. Have mercy on me, a sinner, is the posture that receives mercy. Uh, Empower me, for I am weak, is the posture that reaches out for and receives power. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a lot on humility, as you may remember, and pride. And uh, he said this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down... You cannot see something that is above you. Uh, And his point, of course, is that we will worship God insofar as we are humble. For the less we praise ourselves for our salvation, the more we shall praise God for it. Humility is the posture of receiving. It is the posture of worship. And finally, it is uh, the posture of giving. In his essay on pride and humility, C.S. Lewis goes on to make the point that pride, of course, is always by its nature competitive It is always comparing itself to others and looking for advantage and one-upmanship in order to find security. Such a state will struggle, of course, to empty oneself for the good of others, uh, to serve rather than to be served, uh, to respond with forgiveness and sympathy rather than revenge and spite when we are wronged. It is difficult to truly love others and support and encourage others, as we have been commanded to do, if we have a very high view of ourselves and a very low view of them. Uh, If we are proud, we will be tempted to think, well, I would never do that, or uh, they obviously deserve it. But if we recognize that they and we alike are sinners in daily need of mercy, then we will be quick to sympathize, quick to empathize, and quick to help. Humility is the posture of receiving. It is the posture of giving. And we grow such humility by adopting increasingly the worldview of Romans 11, our position as members of God's family is a result of God's gracious calling, not our background, and not our inherent goodness. And he is working out his purposes to the glory of his name, and uh, not for the glory of ours, but nevertheless for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, words from uh, Paul's uh, encounter of the Lord Jesus with the Canaanite woman, and may we, like her, have such uh, humble faith that adopts the pos- uh, posture of faith and uh, repentance, such that it receives uh, ongoing grace from you, grace for the day ahead, and uh, then uh, in that grace, works in and out of that grace to serve and encourage others in all humility. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.